0: And hello from snowy and not quite yet frozen Boise, Idaho. And from Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast that looks at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And a really full week. We we had a lot of stuff going on this week uh, at the State House, at the State Board of Education out in Nampa. We got a lot to get you caught up on. And uh, I got a chance to drop a little series I've been working on for a few weeks on literacy and literacy learning and uh, the state's literacy initiative. We're going to talk mostly about that, but we first want to get you caught up on the headlines. There were many, and it wouldn't be a week without headlines uh, pertaining to teacher evaluations, Clark. It's been your story, and it was your story this week, so uh, catch us up on the highlights. Yeah,
1: one week, one of these weeks, Kevin, I will write about something... Other than teacher evaluations, this this was was not not that that week. week. (laughs) Uh, So anyways, to get you caught up, uh, this was a big week for teacher evaluations. This week, the State Board of Education was briefed for the very first time on this. They're calling it a desk review now. I've referred to it as an audit. It's not an audit. audit.
0: It's a desk review.
1: Uh, Of the teacher evaluations, this was performed by... uh, A consulting company, an education consulting company out of Denver called McCrell International. They presented to the state board on Thursday. This was the long-awaited presentation. And some interesting stuff, just to get right into it. Uh, they criticized news media coverage mm-hmm. of the evaluations as overblown. Uh, they had the thing where they said it got a desk. bristled seriously they yeah. a bristle
0: of being called auditors who conducted an
1: audit. They were offended that we called it an audit, uh, so it was a desk review uh, but uh, but more seriously, they said they did not find any inaccuracies in uh, the teacher evaluations that they reviewed. They reviewed 225 teacher evaluations from 53 school districts. Uh, they, One of the uh, officials from McCrill uh, said that uh, teachers were being graded consistently and that they were employing uh, the state's evaluation tool appropriately. And that seems to. exactly what the document says. It seemed to contradict their own uh, review. And what the review said was that 1%. Uh, of these evaluations that they reviewed followed all of the criteria that were uh, set up by the State Department of Education and the teachers. I do want to let people know that the criteria used for this review has been criticized. Uh, Three of the Uh, criteria were not in place uh, at the time the teacher evaluations were turned in. And if you go
0: to idohidness.org quick, you can read uh, Representative Ryan Kirby wrote a guest opinion about this this week. Don Coberly, the superintendent from the Boise district, uh, wrote a a guest opinion this week. And and they kind of lay out their concerns, their, their feelings that, you know, what was laid out in the, in the, McCrell review was not what was required at the time, so you can kind of walk you through that from their perspective. And I
1: think the big takeaway to sort of close the book on teacher evaluations, at least for this week, was the State Board of Education President, Emma Ashley, um, said there is a lot Uh, from this review and from this experience and how it was communicated uh, that shows that they can improve upon as the state board prepares to audit the following year's teacher evaluations. We expect that. State board's job now, right? Yep, state board's job now. We expect that this legislative session, so we we will look for that at the appropriate time.
0: And this wasn't the only moment of awkwardness at the State Board this week, nor was it the only moment of kind of semantic gymnastics at the State Board meeting. It started off Wednesday with a not really mediation session, but uh, some some of the tensions between the
1: State Board and the State Department of Ed coming to the surface. Yeah, uh, this is how the meeting kicked off. They, the, the two groups, the well, the one group, the State Board of Education, brought in what they referred to as a facilitator uh, to hold this discussion between Superintendent of Public Instruction Sherry Yubara, and the other seven members of the State Board of Education uh, to carve out kind of who's responsible for what, Uh, Superintendent Ibarra said the lines were blurred, there was some confusion, she gets questions about this sort of thing, they're wondering if there's overlap or duplication of efforts and resources, and it got, briefly, it got real tense between Superintendent Ibarra and the board president, Emma Ashley, Superintendent Ibarra had mistakenly uh, or incorrectly referred to herself at least twice as the Secretary Secretary of of Education at that point. Uh, Emma Ashley s- raised her voice slightly and said, you are the executive secretary of this body. You are not the secretary of education. Sherry said, all right, let's get into it. Uh, and there was a brief back and forth. Uh, ultimately, the resolution was uh, that Emma Ashley asserted that no one individual Uh, has the most responsibility for public school education and oversight in the state of Idaho, that it is the state board of education collectively. And as, as uh, some of our Facebook commenters pointed out, this is a debate that has gone back through many iterations of the State Board of Education and many superintendents of public instruction, because both Democrat and Republican. Right, because
0: it's kind of baked into the structure here. You've got the State Department of Education that plays this administrative role. you get got the State Board of Education that plays more of a policy-making role. It's kind of this classic public administration tension that you yeah. see... And so this isn't new. This isn't unique. And uh, but the facilitation or mediation process this week was new. And, and it, where does it go from here now? It seems like it's up now to Sherry Ibarra and the state board to sort of carve out the pieces.
1: Yeah. So what happened was after the the back and forth, after the slightly heated exchange. Uh, Superintendent Ibarra and the board agreed to work together. Uh, They thanked each other for their service. They said, we want to come together uh, to help students. And so ultimately what's going to happen is Superintendent Ibarra and Matt Freeman, the executive director of the State Board, are going to get together uh, between now and February and go through some 25 different areas of education policy and say, okay, who's the lead agency? Who's the point person here? Uh, They're going to report that back to the State Board of Education in February. And they will only have this discussion again uh, if there are high-level issues that the superintendent and the state board's executive director cannot work out. So we're expecting the next update in February, and and, and we will share that. But I want to move on. I want to talk about our big uh, project that you were able to showcase uh, this week, Kevin, uh, you unveiled a multi-part project involving literacy. I know you've been working, uh, gathering information, and completing interviews and school visits for months on this project. Uh, tell us where the idea came from and, and kind of set it up for us, if you would. Well, I think what, uh, what I wanted to do with this was
0: uh, sort of give readers and viewers, because we, we work with Idaho Public Television on this as well, I wanted to give our audience sort of a sense of where this process is starting out at. Because, as you know, the state is putting more money into literacy intervention, more money into helping at-risk readers or trying to help at-risk readers. So we're in, this, we're in just the start of this $11 million a year project. It's probably going to have to be a multi-year project. A lot of educators are looking in terms of you know, not just this year, but uh, into the summer and into the years to follow, uh, and looking at how do you help help kids learn to read and, and get them reading at grade level when they come out of third grade. Because once you get out of third grade, you really have to go from learning to read to reading to learn. So I wanted to take a look at kind of where we are, how this, how we got here, you know, kind of where things stand with our kids and where the schools are trying to go with this, uh, with this initiative.
1: It, it's a great project. You can, If you've missed it and you want to get caught up, you can head to IdahoEdNews.org. I also want to let people know, uh, if you're listening to this uh, on Friday, the 16th, the day we record it, mm-hmm. you're going to be on Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television uh, this evening. Give me kind of a, a sneak peek about what we might see on on tv tonight yeah
0: the idaho reports folks they they fanned out as well they went into schools uh from mccall to to caldwell and, and valley view to kind of get a glimpse of this as well so you're going to get a sense of kind of what they saw uh the idaho reports folks uh, their focus um is partly on this whole brain science you know how do how do we learn to read uh, that was one of the area that they wanted to take a, a look at and also how does this work in special needs uh, situations with special education students? Uh, yeah. it's a little bit different, but what happens in special education classrooms sort of ties into how reading instruction is is tailored for you know for students in general. So, so that's where they're going to go, and we'll talk about it further in the uh, the pundits section of uh, the Idaho Reports this week, and, and that air premieres on Friday night the 16th but uh, again you can catch their uh, their broadcast online at uh, idahoptv.org.
1: Yeah, and the state is just kind of getting started with this process. Uh, you had a chance to visit several school districts. You also had a chance to review the uh, the official literacy proposals that were submitted to the state. What kind of stood out to you, Kevin? Where's where are some of the districts looking to take this?
0: Well, I think it depends. It depends on which district you look at and where they're where they've chosen to emphasize. This is really uh, in, in a state where we talk a lot about local control. This is really a, a local control initiative, and, and was designed to be a local control initiative. So, aside from the requirements that school districts try to figure out how to get more hours of help and instruction for at-risk readers, it's really open to the schools to figure out where they want to spend their money and where they want to place their emphasis. So a district like Boise may be looking at uh, expanding its uh, summer reading programs, and that's kind of one of their their focuses. Uh, Some districts are looking at adding teachers or paraprofessionals, try to drive down that class size ratio, which uh, a lot of educators will tell you is vitally important in in reading instruction. You'll have other districts uh, looking at trying to get uh, more training for teachers, more professional development, or they may want to upgrade the technology that kids will use to, uh, to learn to read. So it's really all over the map, and deliberately so. So what legislators will hear next month is probably sort of a rundown of what's happening in districts, how it varies, how it compares. They're not going to get any hard numbers because we're not going to get any new reading scores until the spring, until after, well, hopefully the legislative session is over by uh, <laughs> by, by mid-spring. So, so it's really kind of a, a test of faith and will and patience for legislators to see how they fund this thing in in the years to come.
1: And this all started because uh, the state has has been tracking, uh, there's a a test that they give in kindergarten through third grade, and the state had basically identified, it's a rolling average, but there's something like 35,000 young children who were behind grade-level benchmarks. Can you explain Mm -hmm. just sort of that a little bit?
0: Right, so... The test that we're using right now, it's called the Idaho Reading Indicator. It's about a 15 to 20-minute snapshot, and, and that's deliberately so. I mean, we're talking about kindergartners through third graders, so you want the test to be short. You, you want to not you know, you know, e- expect young kids to take a long test and when they have short attention spans. So basically what the test does, it kind of provides a snapshot. It allows teachers to sort of identify te- uh, students who are at risk of falling behind in reading. What I did with the numbers um, was I tried to look at sort of where do we stand and how do we compare. Um, one of the numbers that really throws me and really kind of stands out to me is uh, this fall when the, the IRI was given to kindergartners, uh, 51% of kindergartners were at a grade level, so barely half. And this isn't really a reflection on the schools. It isn't really a reflection on the districts or the charters. I mean... That's how they're showing up. That's what. That's the state of where these kids are as they walk in the door. Yeah. I mean, the, the schools give out this test within a few weeks of getting the kiddos into the into the schools. So what it really gives you a measure of is sort of the, the early learning environment that a kid has had, whether that's... Uh, preschool, whether that's Head Start, whether that's a daycare that maybe has a little bit more of a learning component included or, you know, what they learn at home, what they learn from their parents, what they learn from older siblings and on, on down the line. So the numbers really show you sort of where the kids are and where these communities are. And you can look at some of the demographics. So we ran some comparisons and we tried to look at where our, Where are there higher concentrations of at-risk kids, at-risk readers? And we compared those numbers to poverty rates, and we compared them to limited English proficiency populations in the schools. And not surprisingly, you see very strong correlations between at-risk reading scores and poverty and LEP populations. Correlations do not mean that one causes the other, just means that they occur in tandem. None of this should be surprising, but it's really, really important to remember that you know, as we look at what's happening in the schools and what's happening in the communities because it varies. And, and you know, this is, you know, you know this is, you know, the demographics are such a big factor in what's uh, what's happening with these with these kids and what's going to have to happen with uh, reading education if you're going to try to improve these numbers
1: it's a cool project there's a lot of information there there's there's some number and and, and some um some math and some data that, that we share and that, that folks can take uh a, a look at so again folks... and we look some at the politics and we also look at the testing mm-hmm. because really
0: important to remember in all of this we talk about the iri and we talk about the iri scores and we analyze them but at the same time uh, Sherry Ibarra wants to change the IRI. She's already got bids in place, five of them from vendors. Uh, she would like to have a new contract and a new test in place, or a new contract in place by July 1st so that the test can be either revamped or replaced. And that opens up a whole lot of questions about well, how is the test going to be different? Can you even compare these results right. to the previous results? And kind of the impetus, the why are we looking at changing the test? I really wanted to get to the bottom of that because uh, it's been talked about so much and it's been almost accepted as, a, well, we need to replace the IRI. Well, why, we talk to some educators, we get some answers as to what are the shortcomings with the IRI and what would they like to see different in the next test.
1: Yeah, it, it's all there for folks to dig into at IdahoEdNews.org. There's a, over two days We we broke out the stories. But um, I wanted to ask you about kind of how the week kicked off for you. You got uh, a, a state uh, evaluations report mm-hmm. uh, on, on Monday, but wh- what did that find, and, and how does that relate uh, to what you're looking at?
0: It's really interesting how it worked out, and this was, you know, serendipity, I suppose. Uh, Melissa Davlin from Idaho reports uh, kind of focused in on the special education angle of, uh, of literacy and reading instruction, And as it turned out, when she was looking at that um, on Monday, three days before we, you know, a couple days before we launched the series and before uh, we we launched her stories, uh, legislative auditors came out with a report on school funding. And what the Office of Performance Evaluations really focused on was the the special education funding in the state. And they, they did that because they felt like it was symptomatic of a lot of questions about line item budgeting for for k-12 and what they found really really sobering stuff and i, and I hope it doesn't get too lost in the shuffle it's certainly yeah. not lost on me um, what they found was we are not fully funding special education we're not even coming close because uh, we're not we're assuming numbers of special education students that don't line up with what's happening in, in, on the ground what's happening on the ground is it about 10% of kids fall under special education in one form or another. We're not fully funding that. The money we're spending, and we're talking about $300 million a year roughly, not all of it really goes directly tied to quantifiable student need. It's spent in programs, but it's not as tied to need. And the underfunding aspect is something that really bears close watch. So, yeah, yeah. This report came out on Monday. Uh, Two legislative committees got a look at it this week. Uh, We'll see kind of how it resonates with the legislature when they hit town in January and whether it results in any re-examination of the funding. It's one of those things where I just kind of looked at the report and looked at the findings and felt like, you know, it's an area I'm going to want to take a lot closer look at here in the the weeks and months to come. It's It's a big program we haven't paid... Nearly enough attention to, and this report was kind of a—I uh, don't know how legislators will read it. I read it as a wake-up call.
1: Yeah, and, and that's a good way to look at it. And I, and I think that's such a smart point that you brought up about not—this was such a crazy week for a lot of different reasons, but we don't want that. We don't want any of this to get uh, lost in the wash. Yeah, uh, we don't it, want it. way, way
0: down on our page right now because we had so much other news, and we had the literacy series come out. It's on my blog. Uh, the coverage of the first meeting on Monday and the link to the report it's it's important stuff, so I, I hope uh, you'll take a minute and check it out
1: and we will be following up on that. We will be following yep. up on the literacy projects we will be following up on the school. Uh, funding committee's recommendations. We will keep that and, all and up. We may or have or more later. stories
0: about teacher evaluations and audits and desk reviews.
1: For all we know, this may come up again. <laughs> I, I, w- I would bet that it will. Uh, I, as always, I want to thank everybody uh, for listening. Uh, as always, you can follow at Idaho Ed News on Twitter and like Idaho Education News on Facebook to keep up with all of our headlines uh during the week uh check our site during the day but i do want to point out that this may be our last uh podcast of the year it could
0: be i mean our plan right now unless something really newsworthy happens next week that necessitates a supplemental (laughs) podcast (laughs) uh, we're going to take the next two weeks off uh, for the holidays and be back the first part of january uh we'll have plenty to talk about the first week of january because it's the run-up to the legislative session but uh Barring the unforeseen, this is uh, this is it for the podcast for 2016. But we will we'll be back in 2017 with a whole new batch of weekly podcasts. Yeah, if you
1: subscribe to us on iTunes, you will find the podcast automatically when we release them. We also post them on Twitter. Uh, if if things stay under control, we will be back January 6th, and we will be focusing at that time on previewing the upcoming legislative session which kicks off that following Monday. Uh, Be careful out there with the snow and all the weather, and I hope everybody has a great holiday season and a Merry Christmas. And a Happy New Year. Have a good week.